the Bible. It's the Word of God, sharper than any two-edged sword. This sacred book is living and active and contains all that's needed for life and godliness. Stay with American Family Radio for the next hour as we study God's Word and take your Bible questions. Welcome to Exploring the Word. If you ever get asked the trivia question, who was the wisest man that ever lived? Everybody really ought to know that answer. The man that ruled Israel for 40 years, it was stable, it was prosperous, they were in good favor with other nations, and he was celebrated in so many ways, but uh, second King, second, I'm sorry, 1 Kings 3 says that God gave him riches, honor, and longevity. He was wise King Solomon. Hey, and with that, we welcome you to today's edition of Exploring the Word. Alex McFarlane here with Bert Harper. And Bert, I am just really enjoying our look at some of the uh, very significant people and circumstances of the Old Testament. We're talking about prophets, kings, and kingdoms, and uh, certainly one of Israel's greatest kings, King Solomon. And he is the third king of the United Kingdom. Matter of fact, the last king of the United Kingdom, Saul, David, and Solomon. And after Solomon gets through, the kingdom will be divided. So we really want to look at this. This is kind of the climax of, of that, you know, nation. And we have this, as you said, in First Kings. But I would say he did not become king without controversy. Uh, David, another son of David, wanted to claim kingship before Solomon could take a reign. And there was some intervention. Have you ever heard of interventions, Alex? Oh, yeah, yeah. Well, there was an intervention, and let me t- name the names. There was Nathan the prophet, Beniah, a mighty warrior, and Bathsheba, the mother of the Solomon <laughs> and the wife of David. And they intervened, and this, this I would say, uh, triad of being leadership was short-circuited, and Solomon would be king. But again, uh, we have that all through David's life, especially after his sin with Bathsheba. There would be those kind of confusing acts by, their, by his children, Alex. Yes, yes. Well, uh, you know, it's it's interesting that in the life of David, we see so many good things and a few not-so-good things. And in the life of Solomon, we see the same thing. I mean, uh, honestly, there's that old saying, like father, like son. There, there are a lot of commendable things from David that we do see materialized in the life of Solomon, too. But there's some warnings and some, some very uh, bad blights on the legacy of David and a few also on the legacy of Solomon. That is true. And again, we find this running true uh, in Solomon's life. David would reign 40 years combined, seven and then 33. 33. Solomon's reign is going to be 40 years. I found that interesting that his reign would be that length as well. And But again, Solomon comes to the reign after David dies and one of the most interesting things that I found uh, was in the book of, of Chronicles when he was telling Solomon, do it. He was talking about building the temple, and, and the words is, be strong and do it. I, I found that great advice, Alex. You know, do the things God would have you to do. Don't do the others. Leave the others alone. 
major on those things that God would have you to do. And I think Sodalon did that except in his personal life. Uh, oh, yes. His personal life became tragic, and uh, and his heart was turned. But in these early years, I, I just got to take a moment. You and I talked about this earlier. The prophet Nathan was involved in uh, going to David and saying, you're the man that has done wrong, and David was contrite of heart. He did show contrition. Uh, you and I have talked about contrition quite a bit, and he showed that contrition. And then David, was a, he was forgiven, but the consequences remained. But Nathan, he lived long, he lived after David had died, but he's he intervenes in such a way uh, to get a new king, and that's King Solomon. The prophet Nathan, as as we're studying prophets and and kings and kingdoms, mm-hmm. I, I Nathan I think stands very high. And you and I were talking about Nathan being kind of like David and Solomon's best buddies, best friends, because he really did stand in there with them, did he not? Well, he did, and. You know how they they talked about Billy Graham was the pastor to the presidents. And, you know, every president for many, many decades had audience with Billy Graham. In a way, Nathan was almost like that. Nathan was such a great family friend because Nathan gave counsel, even Nathan gave rebuke, and Nathan uh, was just such a voice of God in the life of David and Solomon. By the way, wouldn't you say, Bert, and... um, if I'm overlooking anything, uh, help me out here. There's really nothing bad said about Nathan at all. Uh, I, I think he had a couple of sons that, that weren't so, uh, didn't turn out too well. Am I right about that? You're right. He stood strong. And again, uh, he was the prophet. When you yes. see Solomon, well, let me put it this way. When David's reign is ending and Solomon's uh, reign is beginning, there's three men, and I, I think it's worth mentioning them and saying a word. Zadok the priest, yes. he was going to be involved, and he was there. And again, the priest and their ministry. Nathan the prophet, his ministry from God and to the king. And then Benaiah, the mighty man or the great warrior. Now, I, I would and, say that was, you know, that's the triad that, David and Solomon both needed. They needed that priest. They needed that prophet, but they needed that warrior, uh, Benaiah. And well, Nathan was so significant in in the history of Israel because look, as David lay dying, uh, King David is dying. You might have just assumed his eldest son Adonijah would be the next king, but Nathan, being led by God, works uh, and brings in Bathsheba, makes sure it's Solomon that succeeds David. Now, let me just say this, and I want your your thoughts on it. And by the way, folks, you're listening to Exploring the Word on the American Family Radio Network. Bird Harper, Alex McFarland, we're talking about Solomon. Um, A book I've loved is Number in Scripture by E.W. Bullinger. It's an old book. I think it's pretty balanced, and I think it's trustworthy. He talks about the number 40, and there's, you know, Many, many, many examples of number 40 in Scripture, but 40 being a time of testing, almost a time of probation. All right, under Solomon, the land had peace for 40 years, and they it was just good on all fronts, and yet 
shortly after the passing of Solomon, there was a civil war, and they became a divided kingdom, which, Bert, um, I know you and I haven't really talked about this. I, I take it to mean the nation of Israel breaking in two and splitting is tragic, really. Now, God still worked. I think it's tragic when a church splits. I think the, the dividing of our nation right now is a very frightening thing and a tragic thing. God is not a God of division. But um, the 40 years of Solomon's glorious reign, it was almost like a testing. And if you want this blessing, you must stay true to the Lord, which they really didn't, and there was a civil war. Uh, is it fair to say, without going too deep into it, these numbers mean things, don't they? They are. There's oh. some numbers, and what you want to do, you, you hear me say it all the time, repeated, when, you know, repeated phrases, repeated words. Watch out for numbers that are used again and again and again, and you find three, you find four, 40. Uh, you find the number seven, especially the number 12, 12 tribes, 12 apostles. And so these are important numbers, and they usually have uh, at least, I would say, uh, Alex, uh, a meaning to look at, at what God is doing. He uses those. And again, he uses those 40 years, and they would, and it would end in division. Now, Solomon brought some of that on because of his marrying and his allegiance, you know, uh, away from God some of the time, but he came back. That's the important part. Everybody wants to relate Saul and Solomon. Saul departed from God never to come back. There's no evidence of anything of repentance. Uh, there's remorse, but it's remorse on his part, not concerning what he ple didn't please God. Solomon when he writes the book of Ecclesiastes, I think he does show that desire, Alex. So Solomon had those 40 years, and it started off with this difficulty, but he was asked, what do you want? And this is where you started that phrase about him being the wisest man. And this mm -hmm. is so real, and that's not our evaluation. That's that's God's. Listen to what it says <laughs> in, in 1 Kings chapter 3, verse 11. After he had asked for wisdom, it says, God said to him, Because you have asked this thing and have not asked long life for yourself, haven't asked for riches for yourself, asked for life of your enemies, uh, but have asked for yourself understanding to discern justice. Isn't that a great definition of wisdom? Mm. Behold, I have done according to your words. See, I have given you a wise and understanding heart so that there not been anyone like you before, nor shall any like you arise after you. Alex, that's God's words, you know? If that was in the New Testament, that'd be in a red letter edition. <laughs> Amen. Amen. Now, he did have a few missteps, didn't he? He did, and and they were severe. Don't uh, David's was severe. W when we're saying they're missteps, we're not talking about them not being bad, Alex. You know, uh, yeah. they they were difficult and hard. Yes. Well, he here's the thing. David was a man after God's own heart, and I I don't think David's loyalty to God ever wavered, but he did behave badly in some ways. But Solomon, okay, south of Israel was Egypt. 
And Solomon married the pagan daughter of Pharaoh to try to have good relations with Egypt. Now, this is in 1 Kings 3, 1. And so, not only did he marry the pagan daughter of Pharaoh, he erected high places, which were a type of idol, you know, with false gods. And he worshipped, I mean, I'm going to say this, Bert, not only is one thing he tolerated, it says in 1 Kings 3, 2 and 3, he worshipped at the high places. He did. Now, now here's the issue. That's was bad. He tr- was, <clears throat> was he trying to worship God at those places, or was he worshiping those pagan gods at those places? Alex, that uh, as I read that, I thought, well, that's unclear because it talks about the house of the Lord hadn't been built yet, you know? Yeah, and, yeah. <clears throat> and that, I think that's what we do if we're not careful. We'll substitute. Uh, we'll, we'll think we have to, we can only worship in church, the building. Now, I, I believe yeah. in worshiping. I, Sunday, I was at church, sure. and man, I worshiped the Lord. We had an awesome service, and God showed up. But we can worship God uh, in our home, and we should. You catch what yeah. I'm saying? And I think uh, Solomon was a little bit short-sighted in that, you know? That's, yes. that's a, a thought. I don't know if you would agree with it or not. Yeah, and, um, you know, it, it talks about the fact that um, strange women and strange gods, you know, and, and it was very, very imperative that they stay true to the true and living God. They were not to be idolaters, and ever since the time of Moses, you know, God had been very strict with them. But there, there's good things in the life of Solomon, some... Uh, bad things, but uh, all in all, many lessons for us to learn today, isn't it? It is. And remember, most of the Proverbs, he wrote them. God used him in a significant way. I pray that God would use you. Stay tuned for more. This is Pause to Pray, a chance to stop down from the daily noise of life and pray for our country's leaders. Today we pray for Lenita Jacobs-Simmons, Director of the Job Corps. She oversees the program that delivers vocational training to young men and women in the United States. Proverbs 12:11 reminds us of the importance of working hard. Those who work their land will have abundant food, but those who chase fantasies have no sense. Right now with this in mind, let's pray together. Dear Heavenly Father, we ask you to guide Lenita Jacobs-Simmons as she helps provide job training to young Americans. We ask this in Jesus' name. Amen. Pause to Pray is a service of this station and the Presidential Prayer Team, a nonprofit, nonpartisan ministry dedicated to encouraging prayer for our nation's leaders. To learn more, go to pausetopray.org. Your cell phone will eventually lose power if you don't plug it in for a recharge. But Dr. Tony Evans says the same thing can happen to the universe. He'll talk about the power that keeps it going as we spend two minutes with Tony. There is a law called the second law of thermodynamics, which is also known as the law of entropy. And the law of entropy in science simply says the world is running down. In other words, if you leave a house to itself, It's going to get dusty. It's going to get cobwebs. It's going to get run down. It's going to get dirty. You don't have to make it that way. You just have to leave it alone. That's why you got to clean. That's why you got to dust. Because left to itself, the world is running down. You and I are running down. We're getting older and grayer. and, And the world is running down. 
If the world is running down, that means it's not self-sustaining. So just like your house or your body, to keep it from running down, somebody got to keep it up. So if creation is running down, whatever it's keeping it up from total collapse and death must be strong enough and smart enough, powerful enough, a name God, who not only creates, but sustains that which could never sustain itself given the law of entropy. The issue on the floor is do you want to walk with God? And you need to want to walk with God. I need to want to walk with God if I expect God to walk with me. He is the rewarder of those who seek him. For a look at the extraordinary things that ordinary people can do when they seek God, check with us for details on Dr. Evans' series, Heroes of the Faith, available online at TonyEvans.org. Then join us next time for Two Minutes with Tony. Have no fear of them, nor be troubled, but in your hearts honor Christ the Lord as holy, always being prepared to make a defense to anyone who asks you for a reason for the hope that is in you. Yet do it with gentleness and respect, having a good conscience, so that when you are slandered, those who revile your good behavior in Christ may be put to shame. 1 Peter 3, 14 through 16. American Family Radio. Welcome back to Exploring the Word on American Family Radio. Just give me Jesus. You know, an example of how the Bible is just very widely known in everyday life and literature, 1 Kings chapter 3 also contains one of the most famous uh, scenarios in the life of Solomon uh, regarding a dispute over a baby. And maybe we'll talk about that, but we welcome you back to the program, Alex McFarland, Bert Harper. And you are listening to the American Family Radio Network. Bert, we're going to continue with Solomon. I want to do two things. For one, I want to give the phone number because in a few brief moments, we will take Bible questions. And if you want to call in and have a Bible question, Bert and I will do our best to give you a good answer. The number is 888-589-8840. 888-589-8840. We'll get to Bible questions in a moment. I do want to remind everybody that coming up very soon is the Truth for a New Generation Conference on Biblical Worldview. Sandy Rios, Frank Turek, uh, Bishop E.W. Jackson, a whole lot of people. Music by the award-winning group from Nashville, The Bird Songs. They're amazing. Myrtle Beach, South Carolina, First Baptist Church, October 15 through 17. We're going to be talking about critical race theory, so many other things. A biblical stand in this world today. Truth for a new generation. It's for all ages. You can learn more at my website, which is alexmcfarland.com. But um, Bert uh, Solomon uh, was having a dream, and God spoke to him, and um, God told the Lord he... He wanted wisdom, and God said, look, because you asked for wisdom, you didn't ask for riches or wealth or the life of your enemy, I'm going to make you a great leader, and I'm going to give you what you asked for. And uh, asking for wisdom was a wise thing to request, wasn't it? It was. It reminded me of something else that's going to happen later. 
You remember Elijah and Elisha on Elisha's last day on earth? And they go to Gilgal, Bethel, oh, and yes, Jericho. Yes. And each one of those places, basically, Elijah asked Elisha, are you going to stay here or are you going to go on with me? Well, each one of those places, Gilgal, Bethel, and Jericho, uh, you know, Elisha said, as the Lord lives and as I live, I'm not going to stay here. I'm going to go with you. And they finally crossed the Jordan River. Now, after they crossed the Jordan River, get to the other side, guess what question that uh, Elijah would ask uh, Elisha? Not, are you going to stay here, but what can I do for you? And then Elisha said, I want a double portion of your spirit. Uh, In other words, he was saying, I'm so weak, I can't measure up to all that you've done and who you are. I'm going to have to have more of the spirit than, than ever. And Elijah told him, if you see me when I've departed, you'll know that your request has been granted. He was taken up in a whirlwind. That mantle fell off of Elijah's shoulder, and Elisha put it on his, and he went back across the river and did great work. When Solomon asked for wisdom, it made me think of that, and it makes me think of, it. you know, they, are you asking for the right thing? You catch mm-hmm. what I'm saying? When yes. God comes, are you praying and seeking God for the right thing? Uh, he said, not for wealth, uh, you know, not for power, but for wisdom. And so, Alex, uh, let's, let's, I think, to ask for the wise or the right thing, we better get into the Word of God and see what God wants for us. And, you know, to ask for a double portion of your spirit and, and the mantle be on me, with everything you had and even more, I mean, that that was a wise thing to, to ask for, and that was the right thing to ask for, isn't it? It is. And here, notice what happens, and it says, uh, verse 14 especially, So if you walk in my ways to keep my statutes and my commandments as your father David walked, then I'll lengthen your days. And again, he basically did that. And I think uh, we'll get to the dividing of the child in a moment. But at the end of this chapter, uh, chapter 28, I think uh, we can go there and then go back and talk a little bit about that wisdom of the child. And verse 28, And all of Israel heard of the judgment which the king has rendered, and they feared the king, for they saw that the wisdom of God was in him to administer justice. Now Mm. look at that last phrase to administer justice. That was one of the marks. Do you you worship God? Do you administer justice? God puts a premium on administering justice for leaders, Alex. Exactly, exactly. And and let me say, God never blesses um, doing things uh, dishonestly, I mean, now sometimes people for the moment appear to be succeeding and appear to be prospering. But the other thing, uh, have you ever heard that old saying, it's never right to do wrong to do right? That's right. Um, I love how John 8 says the truth will set you free. God was pleased with leaders that act justly. And just for one second, I'll digress and talk about our country, but part of what's wrong with our nation is for about the last 50 years, we've tried to have a prosperous nation in the absence of morality, and you can't do that. Uh, George Washington and the founders said that the supports on which our nation must stand, they would they used the term religion, they meant Christianity, but religion and morality. You cannot have stability, 
nor prosperity without a moral foundation. And that moral foundation must acknowledge God. I mean, because otherwise, where does right and wrong come from? The voice of the majority? Well, uh, the voice of a dictator? No. The voice of moral truth, justice. It doesn't come from humans. It comes from our Creator God. Amen. And to demonstrate that, they brought this uh, two women. One of those women had rolled over and killed her child, and she took another woman's child, and they came before King Solomon. And whose is it? Both of them were claiming they didn't have DNA tests. They couldn't do all the things. So Solomon came up with this thought. Well, I'll tell you what we'll do. We'll divide the child and give each one of you a part. And the real mother says, oh, no, don't kill the child. You uh, let her have it. And Solomon said, okay, no, you're the real mom. You're the first one to speak to show love and care of a mom's love. And that mom got to have her child. Alex, that demonstrated. And again, as you said, that has become uh, not just from a biblical view. It was a it's talked about again and again in the secular world. Yeah, I mean, literature and different groups have have used this vignette. And really, you know, the way it was such brilliance. I mean, it really was. So you've got, um, you know, the 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 babies that were born and it doesn't mention fathers really being around. Um, And so when he said, look, we'll divide the baby and give half to each. I mean, that's a brilliant, brilliant um, storyline or plot point. I just don't think people could have thought that up. I think it shows his wisdom. Hey, again, I I want to we're trying to get through and give a bird's eye view. But chapter four, appointing these regional uh, administers princes over his area. You know what this is, and I thought about it, because you are always good at taking it and looking at national at, at situations we do. What would Solomon do? Yes, he had a centralized power, but he was bringing that power to the different areas, to 12 different areas, to put men, administrators over them so that they could have local control, local power, local uh, you know, outlook, Alex. So Solomon, even in a small country like Israel, saw the need of local decisions being made. All politics is local politics, has been <laughs> I've said. I've heard that too, yes. <laughs> yes, he, he, he really did. But you know what, like we've talked about, um, he still did some things, you know. Um, he did things that the kings of Israel were really forbidden to do, and he, he multiplied, he was a builder. You know, he built cities, and when you read in Ecclesiastes, he talks about how, I think, searching for peace, searching for fulfillment, he went after personal wealth, personal accomplishments, wives, I'm just going to say this, multiple, multiple sexual partners, and <laughs> built altars to pagan gods of his wives on the hills around Jerusalem, First Kings chapter 11, and... Uh, he, he was searching for something, wasn't he? He was. And again, what you have him, he's doing that. But the thing that David wanted to do, build the temple, he could not because he was a man who shed blood. Solomon, as you said, Alex, it would, it would be a peaceful reign. Matter of fact, let me read, if you could, from chapter 4, verse 25. I think it sets it up to building the temple. 
And Judah and Israel dwelt safely, each man under his vine and his fig tree, from Dan as far as Beersheba, all the days of Solomon. There's that safety. And it says in verse 27, there was no lack of their supply. And so here Solomon's reign was a great reign, peaceful reign. And then he was able to do what David wanted to do, and that is to build the temple for the ark to dwell in. And it says in chapter 5, verse 5, I and behold, I propose to build a house for the name of the Lord my God, as the Lord spoke to my father David, saying, Your son, whom I will set on your throne in your place, he shall build the house for my name. And that's what David told him, to be of good courage and do it. And guess what Solomon did? He did it. He really did. He really did. And God allowed him to do that. And don't you think that part of it was that, um, you remember Jesus said, my house will be a house of prayer for all people. Um, Solomon was a man of peace. And the Bible said that the sword would never depart from David's house because of, you know, what he had done. And there were just, um, even though David got the the raw materials, it took, uh, Solomon personified what the house of the Lord should be about because Solomon personified more of the attributes of God. Even though David was a man after God's own heart, wouldn't it be fair to say wisdom, justice, righteousness, um, the reign of Solomon more closely personified what some of the attributes of God are? Good point, Alex. And again, in building the temple, he was completing God's desire. Uh, that was God's desire. He wanted a temple. It wasn't just David. It was God wanting that desire. And I, I just got to say, this is something. You're talking about building it. Matter of fact, it would take them seven years. That's how long it yeah. did for them to build the temple. But notice in chapter 5, verse 15, Solomon had 70,000 who carried burdens. Now listen to this next one. And 80,000 who quarried stone in the mountains. Now why was that so important? Look at chapter 6, verse 7. And the temple, when it was being built, was built with stone finished at the quarry so that no hammer or chisel or any iron tool was heard in the temple while it was being built. Now, Alex, that is so significant because each stone was built specifically to go into a place at the temple. They had the measurements. It was so laid out that each stone was uh, was brought about by certain areas at the quarry so that they could put that stone in a certain place. You remember what it says about Jesus laying the chief cornerstone? He um, is and he the was chief. Yeah, chief cornerstone. It was made in the quarry and delivered, but it was so different than the others. According to the scriptures, they set it aside and they found out that no. And that was a, a picture of Jesus being rejected. You know, the stone that the builders rejected that's it. has become the chief cornerstone. That's it, brother. If that doesn't ring your bell, your clapper's broke. <laughs> that, <laughs> that That is Jesus. And here, even building the temple, building the stones, uh, in the quarry as they would make them and mold them. And you know what it says about us? It says we're living stones. You know, yes. uh, Peter talked about us. Uh, we're living stones. 
And what God does, the quarry is world, and he is shaping us and molding us so we'll fit into what God has for us, Alex. I think it's a beautiful picture, brother. Well, well, it is. And, you know, uh, we've talked about this so much, how really throughout the Old Testament we see Jesus. And we do see this in the life of Solomon, too. Uh, by the way, I just, for the record, I want to say this as we look at Solomon. So many... Uh, <laughs> Good things, bad things, uh, godly things, less than ideal things. But Solomon was a believer. And you, you read Ecclesiastes. You and I have taught through Ecclesiastes. And I was really surprised when I was a young believer and I read Ecclesiastes. And it says, or the preacher. Solomon was a preacher, wasn't he? He was. Amen. And, and he, he comes back before, the, before his life is over. And he does return. He says, you know, all these things are vanity. It doesn't mean all of life is vanity. Let me be very clear. Solomon did not conclude that all of life is vain and empty. That's a philosophy called nihilism. A lot of people think life is meaningless. No, he comes back. He says, let us hear the conclusion of the whole matter. Fear God. That's Ecclesiastes twelve thirteen, And he did. Keep his commandments. This is the whole duty of man. For God shall bring every work into judgment with every secret thing whether it be good or whether it be evil. Bert, we're going to see Solomon in heaven. Uh, of that I am convinced. I am as well. Now, here's what happened, and I preach this. David served God with his whole heart. Now, every once in a while he got his eye off of God, and I, I hate to say it, on on women, and but his heart remained, you know, he would get it right. Solomon's, he had the women, but sometimes his heart was turned, you know. But Rehoboam, yeah. His son is no heart for God. It's mm. it's sad. So you don't you want to stay in there. You want to plug away. Uh, you can't rest on the laws of your parents. Hey, we're going to take phone calls. Triple eight five eight nine eight eight four zero. Give us a call. The American Family Association's mission is to inform, equip, and activate individuals to strengthen the moral foundations of our culture. We also support the church. Our goal is to be a leading organization in biblical worldview training. Here's another of our core values. We believe true morality flows from biblical principles and directs people to the manner in which God intends them to live. Thank you for standing with us as we seek to stop the erosion of godly values. And we thank you for your support. To sharpen the biblical worldview of Christians and to share the good news of Jesus Christ, that is the mission of the Christian Worldview Radio Program. I'm host David Wheaton, inviting you to join us this Saturday morning at 9 Eastern, 8 Central, as we discuss all matters of life and faith from a decidedly biblical perspective. The Christian Worldview, Saturday mornings at 9 Eastern, 8 Central, right here on American Family Radio. Then David said to Saul, I cannot go with these, for I have not tested them. So David put them off. My name is Abraham Hamilton III, and this is the Hamilton Minute. As David prepared to face Goliath, Saul tried to outfit David with Saul's personal armor. But David didn't have Saul's armor when he faced the lion or the bear. And David recognized that he didn't need the armor to slay Goliath. Today, many Christians yield to the temptation to be hipper, cooler, even a little fuzzy on the clear teachings of Scripture in order to face the Goliaths of our day. But Jesus said, if I be lifted up, I will draw all men. We don't need a cool light show to be effective ambassadors for Christ. All we need is to offer what we have freely received, 
We know the transforming power of Christ because he has transformed us. Listen each weekday from 5 to 6 p.m. Central for The Hamilton Corner with Abraham Hamilton III, public policy analyst for the American Family Association. This is Dr. Stephen Rummage with a minute in God's Word to help you keep moving forward. Joel chapter 2 verse 13 says this, Return to the Lord your God, for He is gracious and merciful, slow to anger and abounding in steadfast love. When we go in the wrong direction, God calls us to repent, to turn around and return to Him. I was eating at a restaurant and on the way out, they had mints wrapped in plastic. I opened the mint and noticed a message printed on the plastic wrapper. It said, if you've ever had a meal this good before, then welcome back. That was a pretty bold claim. They were saying there's nothing this good anywhere else. Jesus can say that with no exaggeration. His mercy, grace, forgiveness, and love are unsurpassed. And when we return to Him, our Lord always says, welcome back. For more resources, visit movingforwardradio.org. Join me every Sunday morning at 830 Central for Moving Forward right here on AFR. Welcome back to Exploring the Word on American Family Radio. Welcome back to Exploring the Word. Alex McFarland, Bert Harper, so honored you're here. And we're going to go to calls. It's 888-589-8840, 888-589-8840. Hey, I do want to remind everybody that this Thursday I will be in Paris, Tennessee. I'm so excited about going, and there's a, a pregnancy care banquet the theme is made in the image of God, and uh, so we'll be talking about that. And if you're in the area of Paris, Tennessee, I'd love to meet you Thursday night. And Bert, I also hear I'm going to get to speak to the to the um, uh, FCA uh, Fellowship okay. of Christian Athletes that afternoon. Amen. What an opportunity! Encourage them. I'm telling you what, Alex. Uh, hey, by the way, since you're talking about students, this Wednesday is see you at the poll. So yes, in is. your schools, uh, you students who are riding home with your parents and you're hearing us on the radio, check out See You at the Poll. And if you haven't got it happening at your school, you make it happen. Uh, yes. we, we've seen people where one person showed up, but what a statement it was. See You at yes. the Poll and pray and pray for America. What a time to do so. So, Alex, well, that's great. I know Paris, Tennessee. I love that place. Been up there two or three times. Uh, preaching and speaking, and I know it'll do good. Did you go to Tennessee Valley Community Church? No, it was a different church up there, but I was up there, but I did know some members from there as I met them. It's a great church. It is. Well, we're going to go to the college. I'll talk more about Paris, Tennessee later, but uh, right now, 888-589-8840, your Bible questions. And Bert, where shall we go first? We will go to Texas and talk to Jonathan. Now, Jonathan, welcome to Exploring the Word. Hi, Alex and Bert. Um, uh, how are you? Doing great, Good. Jonathan. Uh, oh, what part? Of, where do you live in Texas, Jonathan? Texas, um, Midland. Oh, wow. Way mm. out there. Midland. Hey, man, great we, we time. are so glad to hear from you. Yeah. Yes. Hey, you got a question, Jonathan? Thank you. Um, about, about protection. Um, Psalm 90, you know how Psalm 91 says, 
No evil shall befall you, nor shall any plague come near your dwelling, for he shall give his angels charge over you to keep you in all your ways, and their, in their hands they shall bear you up, lest you dash your foot against the stone. Yes, amen. But at the same time, but at the same time um, I know that bad things can still happen to me, and I I struggle with fear of a, a lot, but I'm still trying to believe scripture and but I, I know that God allows bad things to still happen yes so wow me. well that's that's why Jonathan we have a friend that sticks closer than a brother than any Jesus is our friend and he goes through those difficult times with us that's the key he is with us. And uh, he does not, the Bible says, Jonathan, he does not leave us as orphans. We're not alone. He is there with us. And when he goes through with us, we know it may be difficult and hard, but he's going to bring us through it. Alex, this is a great call. This is one of my top 10 calls. How about you, Alex? Liz, I am so glad that you would call in. And and let me say this, uh, and I'm just really touched by the way you think, and you're obviously thinking about the Lord and our relationship with, with Christ. It's wonderful. In Psalm 91, it, it says, I will say of the Lord, He is my refuge and my fortress, my God, and Him will I trust. And it talks about the protection of God, the deliverance of God. And then it goes on, now listen carefully. Uh, in verse 10 it says, There shall be no evil that will befall you. And he gives his angels charge over you, and you're not going to dash your foot against a stone. All right. The key to understanding this is the word befall, B-E-F-A-L-L, Psalm 91, verse 10. And the word there in the original language literally means overtake. So Psalm 91 is not necessarily promising that we won't experience any painful things. Even a born-again Christian can uh, stub his toe on a stone. And even, you know, bad things can happen, but it doesn't mean they will ultimately destroy us. No evil thing will overtake you, like, completely. And Bert is right. Jesus, Jesus is the friend who sticks closer than a brother. And even though even the most faithful Christian can sometimes go through hard times, if we're willing to go through the deep valley holding the hand of Jesus, we will see how faithful he is, and we will grow. And, I, Bert, I, I think when we get to heaven, we're probably going to look back and see not only did God help us through the hard times, but we're probably going to see countless other things that he did shield us from. Amen. Let me read the last three verses, and it, it, it really comes home. To bear witness what you just said, Alex, listen, because he, God, has set his love upon me, therefore I will deliver him. Deliver him means, you know, it doesn't mean you're absent of anything. He'll deliver you through it. I will set him on high because he's known my name. He shall call upon me and I'll answer him. I will be with him in trouble. In other words, the trouble does come, but I'm going to be with him in trouble. I'll deliver him and honor him. With long life, I will satisfy him and show him my salvation. Jonathan, 
great call. Hope you remember that. Jesus is that friend that sticks closer than a brother. You can trust him regardless of what comes our way. Thank mm. you, Jonathan. Amen. Let's go. Let's stay in Texas and talk right. to Shauna. Shauna, welcome to Exploring the Word. Hello. Yes, you're on. I don't know if the person who asked me my question told you what I wanted to know or I need to repeat it. You need to repeat it. Go ahead. Okay. Um, I keep coming back to this particular scripture. It's troublesome for me, and we happen to be talking about it in church Sunday. Um, it's Matthew twelve thirty-one and 32, addressing the unpardonable sin. Okay. Matthew twelve thirty-one and 32. Alex, mm-hmm. you got it turned there? Mm-hmm. I, I do. You look, go ahead first. This. I'm looking at making sure I got it. Matthew okay. 12, uh, 31 through 32 says I actually this. listened to a program where y'all were, actually, y'all were discussing this at length, and yeah. there's several different opinions about what the unpardonable sin actually okay. is. Okay, right. Yeah. Okay, well, Alex, you're the one that has brought this up about the Holy Spirit, and mm-hmm. go ahead, and I'll, I'll add mine at the last. Jesus said, Wherefore I say unto you, All manner of sin and blasphemy shall be forgiven unto men. But the blasphemy against the Holy Ghost shall not be forgiven unto men. And whosoever speaketh the word against the Son of Man, it shall be forgiven him. But whosoever speaketh against the Holy Ghost or Holy Spirit, it shall not be forgiven him, neither in this world nor the world to come. Bert, am I gathering that the the gist of the question is, what is the blasphemy against the Holy Ghost? That's it. That will not be forgiven. Unpardonable yes. is what that word, you know, that's a translation of what that means. I think one of the keys is to go back and look at what uh, verse 24 says, okay, the of Matthew chapter 12. The Pharisees, they said that, and I'm not, I, I, I'm not even going to repeat what they say because it really chills me to the bone, but basically they were attributing the works of Jesus to Satan. Now, why was this such an egregious, just horribly unspeakable sin? Because they had um, an unparalleled level of revelation. Now, uh, i got to read a quote here. C.S. Lewis, Bert, C.S. Lewis said this, that Jesus, and and by the way, folks, I'm going to explain what the blasphemy against the Holy Spirit is, but here's the thing. C.S. Lewis said, Jesus produced three effects. Hatred, terror, or adoration. There was no trace of people expressing, quote, mild approval. You either have to accept or reject Jesus, said C.S. Lewis. Because, see, people today say, well, Jesus was a good moral teacher, but not really the Son of God. Now, some people, like uh, Herod, they were afraid of Jesus. Some people adored Jesus. But among the religious elites, the Pharisees, they hated Jesus. And they attributed to Jesus the power of Satan. And that was unforgivable because they had the Scripture, they had the witness of the Holy Spirit, and in right in front of them was God incarnate. And they said, I'm not going to even repeat what they said. So my point is, we today do not need to fear, uh-oh, what if I have blasphemed against the Holy Spirit? Because the blasphemy against the Holy Ghost in verses 12 and 13, um, 31, 32, was really only possible to have been committed 
by those Pharisees referenced in verse 24. Do you see what I mean, Bert? I do. Let me add one thing to that, Shauna, and that is against the Holy Spirit. Jesus said the Spirit will come, and he will convict the world of sin. And what you do, if you reject the ministry of the Holy Spirit, which is lack of faith, no faith, unbelief, there's no hope for you. I mean, you're, you're, you cannot be saved apart from God's grace through faith. And when the Holy Spirit, and I think you're right, Alex, but I think it, uh, today we, it, it talks about, you know, unbelief, that's the sin that will send you to hell. Mm-hmm. The Holy Spirit is the one who convicts us. The Holy Spirit is the one who draws that person. And if you reject that urging of the Spirit, the Holy Spirit coming, it's not necessarily blasphemy, but it's the closest thing we have now to where you reject him and what he's doing. You yeah. you, you follow what? Yeah. And so, Shauna, I, I think that's it. Try not to, uh, with that, what Alex said about what they did and what they said Jesus was doing, was, was blasphemy. And when we treat the Holy Spirit in a similar manner today by unbelieving the conviction not following him, we, the person who does not believe, I shouldn't say we because you and I, we're believers, uh, you know, sets themselves up for destruction. And mm. that's the whole thing. Shauna, thank you so much. Uh, next, let me see. We are going to go to Mississippi and talk to John. John, welcome. Hello. Yes, you're on. Go right ahead. I'm sorry. I, I was hesitant about calling. Um, my kids would kill me if I didn't ask you if dinosaurs were real. That was their question. And then uh, my mm-hmm. question is uh, what, uh, you know, you're a cop and <clears throat> all you see is evil, just pure hatred, evil every day. And you used to be a Christian and, you know, I haven't been to church probably three years. I don't even pray anymore. And you get to the point where you try to do good and you still see the same cycle over and over and there's no end to it. And, and, and you just wonder, you know, what's the point? You know, I've never not believed, but I mean, people walk around all day and they don't see what others do to each other. They don't see what kids live in the sickest, most unimaginable thing you can see. And you see it every day. And you wonder, what's the point anymore? John, thank you for calling for your kids, but also for yourself. Tell your children that dinosaurs were real. Uh, They were there. They were before the flood. My opinion, Alex may disagree. I believe there were dinosaurs on the ark. They were just real small uh, because they're like alligators and crocodiles. They grow continually. But they start out small, so that he could have had small dinosaurs. But after the the thing happened on the earth with the floods coming up and the canopy from above, because the water came down, they no longer could survive. They became extinct. That's I believe that. If you go, if anything you want to do, go to uh, the Creation Museum. Uh, uh, answers in Genesis. Find that out, and it'll help you. Now let's Alex talk to John. Yes, I, I, I've i pastored. John, let me just say this. And I'll let Alex finish. 
I've been the pastor of a lot of law enforcement officers. I've had that Amen. privilege. I pray for them. I love them. And they talk about how hard it is. They tell me that they could not survive if it were not for their relationship with the Lord. They would give up. Make sure you're saved. Make sure Jesus is real. But Alex, help John, would you? We're going to pray for him, too. All those out there, before I give you over, write John from Mississippi, and let's pray for you. We're going to be praying for you, John. But go ahead, Alex. John, I want to say thank you for calling. I really count it a great honor that you would uh, trust us with this question. And we look around the world, and we see pain and sin and evil and injustice and just the, the endless things that are the effects of sin. On the one hand, we might say, you know, what's the point? Is there even a God? But look, all of the brokenness of the world doesn't mean there's no God. It just shows us how much we need a Savior. Now listen very carefully. Let's say you're walking in the woods, and you come up on a house. The roof is rotted. The windows are smashed. The, the rain and the weather has just about caused this old house to fall in. And you don't say, look, there was no architect or builder. What you say is, oh, this house is damaged and needs to be restored. And we look at this world, and we, we, we don't say, oh, there's no God or no hope. We just say, look, this world is broken, needs to be fixed. That's why Jesus came, to fix what is broken. First Timothy 3, to seek and to save that which is lost. So turn back to Christ. He's our only hope. I mean, really. But he is the sure hope. Bert, quickly, could you pray? Father, I thank you. Thank you for John calling. I thank you that men like him are putting their lives on the line each and every day. And, Father, it's got to be bad. I've, mm. I've done some drive-arounds with patrolmen before, and I know yes. what they see, and it's getting worse and worse. Is it day, was it in the days of Noah? Their thoughts were evil continually. I pray for John. God, help him, strengthen him. Help the law enforcement officers everywhere, those that are listening, May you bless them. May you draw them to yourself. We pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen. Folks, thanks for listening to Exploring the Word. Please keep John and others in prayer and stay tuned. Tell somebody about Exploring the Word. Most of all, please tell somebody about Jesus. Jesus.